Good evening, family. How's everybody doing today? Oh, it was an interesting day. We had a little bit, got a little bit chillier today. Not too bad, but man, the winds were crazy about 60, 65 miles an hour. We literally spent most of the day trying to keep that chicken coop from flying away. 
but everything's good anchored set to go now so we got some crazy cold weather coming in here next week but uh not compared to montana dude my gosh that's pretty cold man i'm so glad you got heat in that house because it's going to be a messy messy uh week coming up for many of us here so hope you all have firewood have heater staying warm doing what you possibly can guys this is kilted christian episode 521 tonight i'm gonna be talking about satan's strategies against you um, a continuation to what we had uh, talked about a while back but i got some more stuff because well the devil has a lot of tricks hey matt and head so great to see you i missed you guys yesterday i hope you were doing good i hope everyone is feeling well and no one's getting sick and you didn't blow away because i know we almost did here once again, Kilt the Christian episode 521, Satan's Strategies Against You. Let's get to it. We are many nations around the world, rise to many cultures, but we stand together in a battle between good and evil. We're the seekers of wisdom, the bringers of truth, the hands of heaven, and the voices of reason. As the world tries to divide us by our differences, we only grow stronger as we are bound together as the children of God. Right. So before we even get into the show tonight, I'm going to do a couple little prayers. Uh, let me line this one up. I missed a prayer request last night. I did not see it in our chat, so many, many apologies. Um, so we're going to go ahead and we'll pray for that as well, as well as uh, as Doug, because I haven't seen Douglas in a little bit, hadn't reached back out for my text, so I'm hoping he's doing okay. So if everybody would bow their heads real quick, we'll get into a quick little prayer before we start the show. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you again for everything that you blessed us with. Um we had a a, um, a request yesterday for a prayer that I missed, Heavenly Father, and I know that you saw it and you answered it, but I'm just going to pray for it again, that we have a friend here who has got the same crud that's going around, everyone's coughing and getting some kind of crazy flu or something, so I just ask you, Lord, that you bless them and help them out of this, let them feel better, get back on their feet quickly, and uh, dear Lord, be with Douglas as well. Um, I know he hasn't been doing some shows recently, and and I just not exactly sure what it is, but if he's feeling bad, if he's having some personal issues, dear Lord, just bless that man. We love him so much, and we just ask that you be with him and help him through these times, get back on his feet, because we miss Doug doing his shows. But thank you, Father, for listening and answer all the prayers that we always reach out to you for. In Jesus Christ's name and our Heavenly Father's name we pray. Amen. Yes, yeah, so okay, Kitty said that Douglas has taken off for a bit. Yeah, I, I've reached out to him the last couple of days, and I haven't had a reply, and he usually replies back, so I figured that something was going on. So even though we don't know what the real problem is and what's going on, we can always pray because God always knows what, what the prayer needs to be answered. So so as I said, guys, we're going to do a show tonight. I'm going to go over a little bit of news first. Uh, going to talk about Satan's strategies against you, and I have some uh, pretty interesting stuff lined up that we'll be talking about. Um, before we even get into that, though, um, I've been working on a, a couple of other scripts for Payne's Angel. Hadn't done those in a long time, so I'm getting back into that game. Going to be putting out a couple of videos coming up here soon. I didn't realize that the last video I had done was a year ago, so that was a long time. So we'll have a couple of more um, Payne's Angels videos coming up. Um, not sure yet if I'm going to keep the name Payne's Angels. I'm going to start calling it Kilted Christian. So uh, let me guys let me know what you guys think. Um, I know Payne's Angels is just a recognizable name, but... I've kind of progressed out of the politics and into uh, our spiritual faith a little bit more. So it may be something, guys, think about it. Let us know. Like I said, this isn't going to be a direct change. So we'll have to make the graphics and stuff, but I'd love to hear what you have to say. But I do want to play a, a quick little video, um, that just something I was thinking about today. And this video that I had made um, was from someone else's story, but uh, it's called In the Right Hands. And this is just uh, 
it just shows you the importance of, of how things are accomplished depending on who's doing them and whose hands you put those in. As 2020 has been one headache after another, it is a pleasure to find the smallest taste of inspiration. Often these inspirations are well-timed as the one I'm about to share with you was for me. I cannot take credit for this story and I wish that I could give credit to whom it is due. However, it is too beautiful of an analogy not to share with you during these odd times and I hope I do it justice. In my hands, a football is useless and only worth the $30 it takes to purchase from a Walmart. In the hands of Tom Brady, it is worth millions. In my hands, a basketball is only worth a few hours of fun and the $20 it cost me to obtain it. But in the hands of Michael Jordan, it's worth $20 million. In my hands, a golf club is worth about $50, a day of cursing, and about $30 worth of balls lost in a lake. However, in the hands of Tiger Woods, that same club is worth $100 million. If I have a staff in my hand, I can use it to hike and maybe keep a snake at distance. But that same staff in the hands of Moses can part the Red Sea. Put a slingshot in my hand and I may catch a squirrel for dinner, but in the hands of King David, he could slay a giant. Bread and fish in my hands could feed me and my mother, but you put that same fish and bread in the hands of Christ and he can feed thousands. If I had a few nails in my hands, I may be able to build a bench or repair a house, but you put those same nails in the hands of Jesus and you receive eternal life and salvation. The worth and accomplishments all depend on whose hand it is in. We as humans are fallible, vulnerable, and fragile sinners. We get caught up in the turmoil of our current state, becoming angry, depressed, and confused. We suffer mood swings and a daily roller coaster of emotions that often leave us feeling hopeless. As long as these emotions stay in our hands, that's all they will ever be. But in the hands of God, we will be free from the darkness that surrounds us, see the truth behind the veil, become what we are meant to be and flourish in the love that God has bestowed. So that video was uh, one that I had done a little while ago. It was called um, In the Right Hands. And uh, it was literally a story that I had just seen a while back that someone was talking about. It was a little bit different than this one. I couldn't remember the way that he did it. So I did my own version of it. I mean, I wish that I could give him credit because I always like to give credit where credit is due. And I did not create that story. I just rewrote it and uh, put it into this script. But the point the most important part of this is that anything in our hands could potentially end up a mess. It could end up going the wrong direction. We could end up doing the wrong things. And we'll just repeat these circles over and over again, never getting out of it. But the moment that you take your problems, your worries, your stress, your fears, anything, and you put them into God's hands, everything gets taken care of immediately. Everything works out in your life. And we just need to realize as humans, that there's a lot that we can't do and there's nothing that we can do without the help of Christ, without the help of God. So we should always just humble ourselves always. And God wants us to, you know, I talk to so many people when it comes to prayer and they're like, well, um, don't pray for me. There's other people that could use more prayers. And the thing is though, is that there's always room for prayer. There's always, there's, there's, Never like, well, God's already got too many prayers on his plate today, so why don't you get back to us tomorrow? God has the ability to listen to us all, to love us all, to watch us all, and to answer every one of our prayers. So, you know, there's always enough room to pray for yourself, ask for prayers for yourself, humble yourself, and realize that we need each other, we need God, and this is how things get accomplished. Is uh, There's a reason that God put us all together. It's not a happenstance that all of us end up here every night 
that we've come across each other in different ways that we become great friends um you know that we've there's not a coincidence that we've come together you know i'm glad to see ron johnson right here you know ron johnson and mary and their god cast um you know what a brilliance of it like i said god brings us together and then we help um inspire one another motivate one another help one another and then we go off and do these great things for god it's nothing that we're doing it's all for god but it's not like i said it wasn't us that brought ourselves together it was god that brought every one of us together for a particular reason so don't think that you know this word family that i say every single night has so much meaning and so much power and it's not just the family between us it's a family under god god as his, as his christian soldiers as his soldiers down here on this earth heading for this great battle that we're in we we, we need one another and like i said he god could have put us together with anybody but he chose us to be together right here to unify and what are we doing we're in return creating an even bigger army, showing love and reaching out in prayers for each other as God would want us to do. Like I said, God wants us to rely on him. He wants us to pray to him. It's not an inconvenience. It's not like you who have a busy day and then someone comes up and asks you to do that one extra thing. You're like, you know, I'll get to it if I can. That's not God. God wants us to rely on him and to need him, to want him and to ask him every single day for what we need and for our prayers, as well as behaving like good Christians. So uh, we're going to get into a little bit of news quick. I don't have a whole lot of news tonight that I really want to talk about. Um, and then we're going to get into the big one, which are uh, different tricks that the devil um, th that we have to watch out for that the devil's trying to play. And it's kind of an, extenu an extenuation of another show that I had done probably a couple months ago where I went over different methods that the devil tries to use to deceive us. So first off, um, Oh, John Hopkins University just sent out a hit list of people automatically guilty of privilege, whether they know it or not. So these are just some of the things that are on this list out of John Hopkins, um, you know, basically saying that this, these are the people that, that are problem. These are the terrorists here in our country. All right. So number one on that list, males. Boy, that covers a whole lot of people in this country. So males, um, whites, Christians, middle-aged people able-bodied people, um, middle and owning class, English-speaking speak, people. So these are all things that basically say that you are racist, you are a problem, one of the biggest problems in America, and you are a terrorist out of John Hawkins University right here. So like I said, let me repeat that one quickly. That would be males, whites, Christians, middle-aged people, able-bodied people, middle owning, um, middle and owning class, English-speaking people. So I think many of us fall... Um, into almost every one of those categories, if not all of them, you know, I mean, I'm surprised, you know, that white women specifically isn't mentioned up in there, but, uh, <laughs> what, how insane is this? So this is out of a quote and I, I do the quote fingers quote respected university that's putting this stuff out there. Um, you know, guys, and, uh, I, I'm going to give you a little personal, um, before I move on to the next news, I'm going to um, talk about something a little bit personal here in, in my life. And I would love to hear your, uh, your ideas, your opinions on this. Um, like I said, and then I'm going to get my sister, my twin sister, to listen to this episode tomorrow so that she can kind of hear what you guys are saying. So I'm going to repeat some of your comments. But so my little um, niece, Mackenzie, is a phenomenal dancer. Um, my great, great aunt is uh, Isadora Duncan, one of the uh, originators of modern dance here in the United States. I did not get that gene. Matter of fact, I'm a terrible dancer and she would be quite ashamed of me. But on the other hand, my niece is a phenomenal dancer. She's been dancing for some dance troops for a while. And, uh, you know, as somebody who is in the entertainment industry, I guess overall, you know, dealing with editing and video and all this other stuff, 
you know, um, I'm always about art and I'm always, you know, going to be one that supports any kind of artistic expression, especially whether it's something I can't do, you know, like dancing. So there's a school um, over in Jacksonville, Florida called Douglas Anderson School of Arts. And this school is phenomenal. It is actually one of the uh, better um, art schools and it offers everything from writing to drawing to dancing, um, music, like you name it. This would be where you would go before you would enter a, a school like Juilliard or something. So it technically is a high school. So she was, um, people had her eye on her and uh, they love her ability to dance and kind of lead the team. So Douglas Anderson reached out to her um, or to my sister and asked if she would come try out for that school so she could be part of that school. Now, my sister asked me what my opinion on this was. And, you know, like I said, as someone a supporter of the arts, I think this is a phenomenal opportunity because the school is great. Back when I was younger, um, you know, to get, you know, a scholarship or something to be able to go to that school full time during the day would have been an absolute privilege and an honor because it is such a, a great artistic school. But that being said, Jacksonville has grown quite liberal over the last couple of years. Um, it's become very, very liberal part of Florida. Uh, the schools themselves, any art school has a big liberal influence to it, indoctrinating teachers and so forth. And I don't know for sure, but I'd imagine that uh, Douglas Anderson School of Arts is no different than any of these other liberal schools. So this is where we stand. Um, okay, so Kitty Karen, I knew I knew you would pop in there for me. It says excellent school, but recently had questionable event. A twenty-year-old teacher there was charged with molestation. See. And that's the kind of stuff that I worry about. So, um, and I'm glad that you said that. And just so you know, um, Christine, if you listen to this tomorrow, uh, she, she knows well that area. So um, she would definitely know. And that's what I worry about is that, you know, I want her to have the great opportunity experience to be able to go on and do what she wants to. But in an age right now where what we know about um, entertainment and the entertainment industry, I'm real reluctant. Um, I even pulled myself out of it. And I'm real reluctant for my sweet um, niece to get involved in that, but she loves it. She loves art and so forth. Um, so I'd love to hear what your guys' opinion on this. Should she go try out? Should she at least give it a chance? Um, should my sister give her a chance and let her go to that school? Because I will say that she, okay, she is um, 14 years old, and uh, and she's a smart girl. She was raised in a Christian family. She was raised uh, in a very conservative family. So. She's smart enough to, even if she went there with these indoctrinating teachers, um, to not fall into the indoctrination herself. Um, that being said, you know how mean kids are. So she'd probably end up being picked on horribly by a lot of those liberal kids. So Matt and Hez says, I would say yes. Okay. All right. So, uh, Christine, if you're listening to this show tomorrow, I'm just telling you what some of the people here think as well. Um, yeah, and, you, and Matt, you're right. Maybe she would be a light to others. See, Christine, to listen to that right there, she could be one of those people that's being put in that position to influence others. Um, um, also, Angie says, this is hard to, um, this is a hard pass for me. I wouldn't let my kids um, by themselves unless I live there. So, um, we, you know, we do live uh, about 20 minutes, or she lives about 20 minutes down the road from where this school is. But, like I said, liberal school. Um, so, uh, Montana Duke says, absolutely not. We don't put our kids in front of um, to take the slips and the error. Yeah, so they're kind of you guys are kind of saying um, what what I, the slings and errors. You're kind of saying what I was saying to my sister earlier. I think you know at the very least, um, I don't think it would be a bad thing for her to try out. You know, good for the confidence. But then if she gets into school or gets accepted, she's going to have to make that choice. So 
Um, I thank you guys for your opinions. And uh, like I said, as I know my my parents, um, my parents, my dad and my stepmom were very much against her. And I agree with you. Great Papa Steve is homeschooler as well. Um, I think that's I'm hoping that's something that happens. I know that she's a little social butterfly. So that's the problem with getting her out of that. But I think the homeschooling would be in her best interest anyways. Um, but yeah, so this is kind of a tough decision. Like I said, you know, if I was in the same spot that she was. Back when I was her age, I would have loved this opportunity. I would have jumped all over it. Um, I just worry about the how bad the teachers are anymore, especially in that school. And she will be picked on, I'm sure, about that. She'd get ridiculed. Um, but she's also a tough girl. So um, I, I thank you so much for your guys' opinions. Like I said, this is kind of a tough one because, like I said, my parents were hardcore against this for the same reasons that I'm against it myself. Um, you know, so I know what a tough one. You know, what a great opportunity, but not in the world that we live in today, sadly. So, um, so next, uh, we've got, um, this came out of woke societies today and this is pretty interesting. This headline hits different with the breaking news um, about the, uh, Gonzalo Lira. So listen to this right here. Those who spoke aloud about Biden's corruptions in Ukraine are in danger of physical elimination. Sensational statements in a new interview with the Ukrainian politician, um, Audrey Durka, Durka or Durkak, whatever his name is. So, so now, um, basically, they're threatening you with physical violence if you were to say anything negative about the Trump administration. This is over in the Ukraine. So I guess this is what you get. This is what you get when you get when you pay for it. You pay enough money to a country, and they'll have your back, and they'll kill people if they talk about you. Um, so once again, um, everything's being pushed down the road. Just another can being kicked down the road. So the floor vote announcement. This is for... Uh, this is next week. So next week, the House will vote to hold Hunter Biden in contempt of Congress for repeatedly defying subpoenas. Um, enough of his stunts. Uh, he doesn't go. He doesn't go to play by a different set of rules. He's not above the law. Um, but once again, it was supposed to happen a while back, and it was supposed to happen this week, and now they've kicked the can down the road again to next week. So will it really happen next week? I don't know because I'm still waiting. And I'm thankful that uh, Marsha Blackburn's still on top of this because uh, I wasn't too pleased with the information that they released on Epstein. Um, it wasn't the information that we were hoping. We wanted something a little bit more uh, hardcore, you know, flight log list, um, list of who specifically has been over to Epstein Island, um, you know, just the good stuff, the, the videos, the blackmail videos that were seized by the FBI. None of this stuff came out. Marsha Blackburn's still pushing for us to come out, but Remember the Seth Rich information. It was supposed to be a laptop, a hard drive, and a bunch of other Seth Rich things that were supposed to be released um, last year. Then it got pushed off again until the first week of January. And now the FBI is saying that they're not going to release it at all. So um, I agree. They should have handcuffed Hunter the first time. They should get rid of the FBI. I mean, what are they going to do? How far are they going to kick this can down the road? Because this, this Seth Rich thing... Is the, is the can of worms. This is Pandora's box. You open this and you realize um, it, it basically proves that everything, the Russia, 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 all this other stuff they've been talking about, it's proof that all this stuff was a big lie. It's also proof um, as to all the mischievous and sinister stuff that the Democrat Party has been up to because this is one of their staffers that actually collected all this information. Seth Rich, they found out he had it. They tried to kill him. Um, they didn't kill him. They had MS-13 to do it. He ended up in the hospital where he ultimately ended up dying. And I think that he actually got killed in the hospital because 
more sinister people showed up, you know, just conveniently as he entered that hospital and then he ended up dead. So the information that was released by WikiLeaks that they said came from Russia actually came from a hard drive that was handed over to them by the very Seth Rich, which is the information they're trying to get the FBI to release right now, which they refuse to do. So, you know, and my, my mother and oh, praise Praise God. I tell you, I feel so bad for my mom because she's still in the the age group, the older group where, you know, they still have a little bit of trust and they, you know, have that heart that I had literally like five years ago going, there's, there's good people out there that are doing good things. And it's hard for her to conceive that, you know, sometimes there's just not, you know, so she's like, well, how is this all going to get fixed? And it's like, well, the problem is that our FBI, our CIA, all three letter agencies, our DOJ, are all playing ball with our deep state. So our deep state's our country problem, and then they are being run by the cabal, which is the world problem, kind of a big thing altogether, pushing that new world order. Um, and I do believe in my heart, if the evil has been around since the Canaanites trying to push this evil plan, I also believe that there were good people around trying to do good stuff. And I'm hoping that we see some some of those fruits bared at some point, at the very least, um, waking people up a little bit more with more information and truth coming out. The problem is that our media does everything they can to distract us and to push this information away so that we don't understand what's going on. Yeah, Matt and Hess says, uh, going to be fighting for our independence again soon. And I I agree with you. So sharpen your swords, sharpen your rocks, get them all ready. Um, Kitty Karen uh, has one more comment for you, Christine, if you listen tomorrow about Douglas Anderson, that the teacher there was 20 years, um, was there over 20 years and had been accused from near the beginning of his time there. It led to the school board superintendent finally resigning before she was fired after promoting lots of LGBT stuff and CRT. So Christine, there you go. Kitty to Karen, thank you so much for that information. Um, I've got uh, Christine actually digging in and doing some research on those teachers, but um, I thank you very much. And uh, if you don't mind, Kitty, too, um, it's up to you. I'll, I'll get with you, and I may uh, pass my sister's phone number on over to you um, so you guys can have a conversation, and that would be awesome because she already knows who you are. I've already talked about you before, so um, and that's only if you're comfortable. But anyways, I, I thank you so much for that information. Um, yeah, um, Montana dude, America is too hypersexualized, and that's the big problem with everything. That was one of my problems, actually. To be honest with you, Montana dude, um, with the dancing is uh, I, I love the fact that that she's a dancer. Dancers dancing used to be so much more wholesome than it is today. Um, but the outfits that these teachers get their kids in these dance things, like she moved to a different dance troupe, and it was more of a kind of a hip hop troupe. So you know, long, long pants and that kind of stuff. So I felt a little bit better with those kind of costumes than some of the other stuff that these teachers wear, because like you said, they are hyper-sexualizing absolutely everything on this earth right now, even down to like six-year-olds dancing. And she's not a six-year-old. Like I said, she's a teenager, but nonetheless, when she was younger, they, you guys have seen, you've seen the shows and, and that show cuties. Hopefully you guys didn't see that. Um, so next, uh, you know, this that's how hopeless our, our government is. So the U.S., this came from a patriot voice. The U.S. federal government under Biden is so hopelessly communist that they are actually sending Homeland Security to file emergency suit in the Supreme Court against Texas in an attempt to stop um, them from taking over Eagle Pass. So right now, if you guys don't remember, if you weren't here last night's show, um, we talked about the 
the National Guard and some of the community over there are literally down there securing their border right now. They're doing it themselves. They are literally keeping the border agents from even getting over to do their job. So God bless you guys for doing that. I wish you had done it a long time before because it's been going on for like two to three years now easily in a major way. Um, but I'm glad that their people are actually out there doing it. But it's not good enough for our government because our government wants to literally sue them going through the Supreme Court in order to get them to stop spreading their razor wire and to stop keeping these immigrants out. So how does this work exactly? How can they, how can both things be true? When um, Mayorkas comes out and says that everything's good at the border, um, they've got everything under control, there's no bigger influx than normal, um, and we've got it all under control, we're not just letting them in anyways, and then at the same time come out and sue Texas for stopping them from doing exactly what they're claiming isn't happening. They are the biggest liars. And like I said, is I've said this before, is as much as it annoys me that these people are such good liars, it annoys me more that there's still people out there that buy these lies. We should be way past this at this point. It's as obvious can be. How many stories and expedites do you have to see in our big cities about how crazy stuff is getting there and how uncomfortable it is and how the citizens are getting robbed and they're putting tax money, pulling it out of the city and giving it over to immigration. When is, when is the red line going to be America or the world, not even America, the world. Um, yeah. So Suki says maybe SCOTUS has been dying to get in this in front of them. So this will end. Um, uh, yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll see. I'm hoping, I'm hoping that, I go back and forth on SCOTUS. Every now and then I'm like, yeah, they're on our side. At least enough of them are. And then they do something where I'm like, okay, maybe not. Um, but I would love to see this because, you know, just with what's going on in front of SCOTUS about um, Trump, um, you know, the stuff that's going on with uh, the ballots and everything, that one decision will end up changing a whole lot, including all the court cases that Trump's going through in court and the ballots and everything. So, I, you know, I do believe that one instance in front of SCOTUS can have a major change, and I'm hoping – Suski, that you're right, and uh, that SCOTUS is actually going to be doing this in order to finally stop it. Because uh, not that they will, the SCOTUS will get up there, but they stop it, and then our government will do exactly what they did when they when SCOTUS said, "Hey, you're not allowed to forgive uh, debt for uh, students," and they went and did that anyways. They always find that stupid loophole. That stupid loophole. Yeah, great pop. I go back and forth, Steve, on on trusting SCOTUS. Like I said, every now and then they do something awesome, and then they go and do something stupid again. So, uh, yeah, so then you got Biden again. Um, there's more escalation over in Yemen right now. So the bombs are dropping. Um, we're getting closer and closer to World War III. Apparently, they didn't uh, get the reaction that they wanted out of Russia. So this is their next attempt. So they're trying their best to start World War III. And uh, fortunately, uh, Putin's a little bit smarter than that. He's not going to fall for it. But that won't say that they're not going to try forcing stuff on Russia and putting them to the spot where they've got no choice but to retaliate. So Biden says that it's irrelevant whether the Houthis, um, and I always know I mispronounce that, are designated as a terrorist group or not. He said it doesn't matter. So if you remember, Trump actually made them, um, designated them a terrorist group. And then it wasn't 24 hours after Biden. That was one of the first decisions, 24 hours after Biden became resident. One of his first decisions was to de, um, decertify them as a terrorist organization. So then um, why did they remove them from this list to begin with? So if the Houthis continue their bad behavior, 
countries will take action against them, says Joe Biden, um, as he delivered this message. So listen, this guy is he, he's out of it. I don't even know. I, I still don't believe this is him. He said, um, you think that Houthis are, are a terrorist group. I'm wondering how soon are you willing to designate them as such? It's irrelevant whether they're designated. We've put together a group of nations that are going to say that if they continue to act and behave as they do, we'll respond. He said, he sounds older and older every time he, I mean, man, he, he is just, he's not even there. He's all spaced out. It, it looks like he's reading. I can't really tell, but he's not even a good reader anymore. He's yeah, exactly. He's just not cognitive whatsoever at this point. Um, you know, so here he is, he goes, well, what's the point of designating them terrorists? And it's like, okay, well, what was the point of taking them off the terrorist list? If there's no point in designating them terrorists, then what was the point of removing them in the first place? See, this is the hypocrisy. It goes back and forth. People don't catch it because too much time transpires between each one of these lies that, you know, somebody has to come along and makes a, a juxtaposed video of all these lies side by side. Matter of fact, I've got one coming up here, Nikki Haley. Um, Chicago O'Hare Airport is shutting down and moving their whole hotel shuttle pickup area so that it can house illegals. They're also restricting all media access and threatened that media cannot enter the facility. So um, O'Hare Airport is being used to facilitate and hold illegals, and they're literally inconveniencing everybody else, um, literally inconveniencing everyone else so that they can uh, put these people in here. So Susie says, someone tore apart Jill's recent interview. <laughs> yeah, that'd be awesome. Hopefully it was Trump. <laughs> I hope it was Trump, man. I want to see Trump up there ripping up something like that, like Pelosi did. Um, another thing the news is absolutely not talking about. So the truckers have now joined the German farmers protest. So if you guys didn't know, the German farmers are protesting all over Germany. Um, they're going against what the uh, health organization, who and all these other people are trying to tell them, you know, about their um trying to create fake stuff, fake vegetables, fake meat. Um, farmers are responsible for the carbon thing. So they're actually out there protesting in large amounts, blocking off highways with their trucks, dumping poop, um, kind of like the French did um, inside of the, uh, the um, federal buildings. And now the truckers have also joined them. So now it's not only the farmers, but the truckers are out there as well. Huge crowds of people are lining the streets, cheering them on. So even the people of that area are starting to wake up. Um, America is just so slow behind all these people. And I tell you, if you guys go back and you watch some of, uh, my early pains, angels videos, I was so like, you know what, America, we're going to come together. We're going to lead this revolution. We are going to inspire the world to stand up and to do what they need to do. We're going to inspire the entire world. We're going to win this war together, but we in America are going to be the ones that lead this. And that has turned out to be the exact opposite because I have now watched Canada um, come out and lead this. I've watched uh, the French with their yellow um, jackets or the yellow vest out there doing their stuff. I've seen Germans out there. Now farmers protesting over in Holland. Farmers were protesting. Everyone are, there's people around this world that are literally gathering in the hundreds of thousands to the millions protesting to keep the freedoms that they have. While we here in America, the one country that can literally take care of ourselves, biggest arm in the entire world, American citizens, armed, armed American citizens. And most of us are sitting back doing nothing. Um, 
And I'm not talking about you guys. I'm talking about the country in general. So it's just, it's sad. Um, we need to come together. We need to start getting um, brave again. You know, America the brave. Remember that? Well, I don't think it's America the brave right now. We need to earn that name back. We need to come together. We need to sit in the coffee shops. We need to sit in the pubs or whatever it is. Come up with a game plan. Come together and let's fix this problem. Hey, Truth Patriot, great to see you. Hey, Mary, great to see you too. That's okay. I was almost late, and I'm the one running this show today. So, <laughs> yeah, it's no longer the land of the free either. We got to fight. We got to earn this back. But like I also said, we got to be very careful because they want to pull us into a civil war, and this isn't about a civil war. This is about a revolution. And they've even tried to – They, if you've noticed recently, you know how they try to redefine absolutely everything? Well, they're even trying to redefine what revolution means, and they try to – kind of bunch it all together into what a civil war is. And a civil war is brothers against brothers, sisters against censors, countrymen against countrymen. That's what a civil war is. A revolution is the people of a country going against the people trying to ruin and destroy their country, which would be our tyrannical government. Big, huge, different revolution. We have the right to do civil war, not so much. Um, but we need a revolution, whether it be a revolution of words, a revolution of us gathering together and screaming and refusing to work, a revolution where we come together and not pay taxes. Some kind of a revolution needs to happen right here in this country and around the world because we got a big mess to clean up and we're running out of time. So uh, this woman is a professional liar. So this is Leo Terrell. If you guys don't know, Leo Terrell, also a.k.a. Leo 2.0, used to be a hardcore Democrat. I mean a big Democrat, the kind of Democrat that when he would pop up on Fox, you would cringe and be like, oh, not this guy again. And then one day he woke up, he saw the truth. And not only did he wake up and see the truth, he ended up coming over and being a hardcore conservative, one of the biggest Trump supporters that we have out there. Um, and he's been adamant about exposing, um, the exposing the lies, pointing out the truth. And he uh, tweeted this video out today which is uh, very devastating to Nikki Haley because it's a great juxtaposition right here of uh, things that she said before and things that she's saying now. The same thing that all politicians do when it comes to time to vote. Governor DeSantis is hitting you for claiming the retirement age is, quote, way, way too low. I have Stand never up. once said that. But what we do know is 65 is way too low, and we need to increase that. We need to do it according to life expectancy. I never once said Hillary Clinton was an inspiration. I often say that the reason I got into politics was because of Hillary Clinton. I never said government should go and require anyone's name. A huge issue that I'll deal with as soon as I get there is social media. They need to verify every single person on their outlet. And I want it by name. What I have always said is boys going to a boys' bathroom, girls going to a girls' girls bathroom. Just, but hold on one second. When I was governor, they wanted to bring in a, a bathroom bill, a transgender bathroom bill. And I strong-armed and said, we are not going to have that in South Carolina. She said the law shouldn't get involved in that. And I just ask you, if you're somebody that's going to be the president of the United States and you can't stand up against child abuse, how are you going to be able to stand up for anything? That, that is the truth. I we never have it, said We have it that. on video. When a 12-year-old child in this country, assigned female at birth, says, actually, I feel more comfortable living as a boy, what should the law allow the response to be? Well, I think the law should stay out of it, and I think parents should handle it. Yeah, talk about a... Uh... 
boy, that's a really good campaign ad. <laughs> that's not going to work very well for her. That's for sure. Even uh, Rand Paul or yeah, Rand Paul got up here today and said uh, he, yesterday he said that he was going to come out and make a big announcement regarding the uh, elections. Came out today um, to the podium. You know, had a nice little uh, group of people there, and he said that I, there's a lot of things that a multiple of the candidates up there on the GOP side have to say that I like. He goes, but I wanted to come here today to say that I will. I am never Nikki. So that was what his press conference was about today was to come out and announce that uh, he was never Nikki. Matt and Hev, I sure hope he's one of the good ones. <laughs> I really do, man. I, I would love to. Uh, I would love to go to a state sometime and, and talk to him. So uh, if you can arrange that for me, that would be really great, man. I got some questions I want to ask him because I love his dad. I, I love Ron Paul. Matter of fact, one thing that would make me the happiest is if Trump ended up becoming president of the United States and put him in, in charge of the Treasury. That would be awesome. He would be so cool. Um, and I always loved one of my favorite uh, campaign um, pan, campaign posters that I ever saw was a Ron Paul campaign poster that had him standing over the Constitution with a refibrillator. Awesome. Said everything that you needed to, and that's the kind of guy that is. I think that summed him up so perfectly. Um, so another airstrike just launched by the United States and Yemen. So Joe Biden once again brings us closer and closer to World War III. Oh, it's just horrible and scary stuff. So I'm going to play part of this video. This this lady, I, I think uh, – I think flight work Mary called her the makeup lady the other day because she wears like loads and loads of makeup. Um, but she brings up, I don't agree with everything that she's saying because I don't believe, you know, that anyone here knows who the Antichrist is. But she brings up some interesting points and some interesting scripture points that uh, Jeff and I have had this conversation before about ways that they described Satan. So I'm going to play part of this video Cause she takes forever to get to the point, man. If she could just, she could cut her videos in like into three minutes if she would just get to the point, but I will play just a portion of this guy. So you don't have to sit through that and cringe as well. Want to break the internet? You asked for it. So let's go. Who is the antichrist? One of the greatest mysteries, not only of the Bible, but really of our world since the beginning of time, something that has stumped theologians, scholars, and even Nostradamus himself. Since the words were written in the book, the Bible, countless people over time have tried to figure this mystery out. The very same mystery we may have just solved today. I am just here to state the facts, do with it what you will. But what if I were to tell you the name of the Antichrist may have been given to us already by none other than Jesus Christ himself and none other than this book right here. But first things Bible. first. TikTok, this video is purely for entertainment purposes only. All facts stated are strictly speculation. Oh, let's go. But before we get down to the nitty gritty of potentially the Antichrist's actual name, we will first need to run through some of the attributes. The attributes of the Antichrist that the Bible says he. That's right, I said he. The Antichrist will be a man. The attributes that he will have. Oh, and FYI, yes, the Antichrist is in this world as we speak. Alive and kicking, and many believe is just raring to go, ready to be ushered in, into power. So first check, checked. He will be a man. Check. Second check, yes, he is very much alive. Second check, check. He will also be a political leader, either a current leader or previously a leader of a nation before. Check, check. How do we know this? Well, after the Daniel 9 seven-year peace treaty is signed, which many believe is happening as we speak at the SDG summit, the signing of this peace treaty will usher in the new world, one world government. 
where all nations come together as one. And of course, this global one world government, it will need a leader. And they're not exactly going to offer this position, the leader of the world, to anybody whose resume doesn't have previous experience of at least leading a nation themselves. It will have to be a previous or current president, dictator, czar. Do they still have those? Or king. You can't be a president of a book club or the regional manager of a Burger King. They're not going to give it to some Tom, Dick, or Harry. No, they're going to want a dictator for the one world government. So a man, check, with current or previous experience of leading a nation, check, check. Currently alive and kicking in the world, check, check, check. All right, don't shoot the messenger, but this next check is going to straight have you picking your jaw up off of the floor. As the next fact I'm about to drop about the Antichrist might not be something that a lot of people know. Hang on to your britches, bitches, because according to the Bible, the Antichrist, this man, will be gay. Daniel 11:37 explains this very clear. Neither shall he regard the gods of his fathers, nor the desire of women. I'll say what? Nor regard for any god, for he shall magnify himself above all. Uh, ego much? So interesting. So um, I see, I see a lot of people are saying exactly what, what I was going with Obama. So I'm going to go back and I, I tried to find this earlier and I couldn't find exactly what I was looking for, but I found something close. So in scripture, there's um, old Hebrew, the word Baruch Obama. So they're like different words, but it actually translates to lightning from heaven. Okay. So who do we know in scripture that was called, that was exampled as lightning falling from heaven? Satan himself. So then, um, so all of this, like literally translate. Okay, so I was wrong. It was, it was, it was Aramaic is where you can find this uh, translation. So it's Barak Obama. So different, like I said, three different words, um, translating into there also referred to as the King of Babylon. Um, and it says, uh, the conspiracy theorists to put this together had to go to Isaiah 14 for some reason to get Bama. But if you go through and you find other different versions of scripture, it actually talks about this Barack Obama. Yeah. So interesting enough that that actually means lightning from heaven or fall from the sky. So um, then you go back and the whole point that she just pointed out here, let me go backwards for one second so I can read you exactly what she said. I'll let her this say. man will be gay. Daniel eleven thirty seven explains this very clear. Neither shall he regret. Yeah, so neither shall he regard the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women. So you got to wonder why, you know, because, and I've asked this question. I've said, in a world that's so um, pro-gay, so pro-LGBTQ, why would, why would he, Barack Obama, still be hiding the fact that he's a homosexual? Why would Big Mike still be hiding the fact that she's a transvestite? Um, they seem to be very open about that. They don't seem to be hiding this any longer, um, you know, or at least the world. There's no more in the closets. So why why are they still hiding the fact that Big Mike's a dude? Why are they hiding that? Uh, yeah, and Uvo Noah Harari, Montana dude. I've thought that as well because he does kind of fit that other than the world leader, but he's kind of is a world leader in a weird little way. But um, but nonetheless, yeah, so definitely not liking women. And uh, Barack Obama, like, seems to fit more and more into these categories. And then um, you guys remember, I talked about this one as well. There was a, the history channel movie on, on Christ. That was uh, the story of the Bible. I believe it was called the story of the Bible. 
um, there was a guy that, that was playing Satan that popped in throughout the show. Um, you know, obviously you saw him in the desert. You saw him when uh, Judas um, was about to betray. And the and the guy, um, the I don't want to say the actor, the image of the person that played Satan looked exactly like Barack Obama. So if you guys don't know what I'm talking about, um, when you get a chance to do a, a search engine, type in um, Satan in History Channel's The Bible. And you'll see a picture of this dude. Looks exactly like Obama. Um, so then I was reading an article from the actor that was laughing. You're like, I don't know why everybody thought that Satan looked like Obama. Because uh, Satan looked exactly like Obama. Um, so you, you go back and uh, you find a picture of this actor. And the actor literally looks nothing like Obama other than he's black. He does not look like Obama whatsoever. So whoever picked Satan or the guy to play Satan in that movie um, or in that uh, History Channel version literally put makeup on him to make him look like Obama. So that was no, no way possible a mistake because I just assumed that the actor looked a lot like him and that's what you got. But I finally saw a picture of the actor. Looks nothing like Obama. So like I said, that was done on purpose and you, so you have to ask yourself why because, you know, like I said, I don't know who the Antichrist is, but I will say that Obama does fit a lot of those characteristics. And I think many of you right here would agree because I see a lot of you went right to Obama when you were listening to her. Um, so next, uh, what else do I have left? Okay, yeah, so that was the last thing that I had tonight on, on as far as the news goes. And we're going to get into our little topics for the evening. And tonight's topic, fitting right into what we've been talking about, old Satan and uh, the Satan's tricks that we need to watch out for. So Satan is a snake. Remember that. He's a liar and the father of lies. He is at work in our life trying to tempt you and to sin and to draw you away from God. But he also is at hand at work in the entire world trying to deceive, trying to confuse you, and he wants you to lose your faith and turn away from God. And we're seeing examples of that to the point where they're even trying to convince you in every way that Bible is nothing but a story. So here are 10 tricks that we need to watch out for and be aware of that the devil will end up playing for. So number one um, falls into the category of relativism. So relativism is the idea that there is no such thing as truth. The devil doesn't want you to believe that truth because if there is not truth, then there is no wrong and there is no right. And if there is no right, no wrong, then anything goes. He can tempt you into sin much more easily if you can first get you to believe that there is no such thing as sin. So relativism is everywhere in our society. It takes many different forms. The other tricks of the devil in this post um, explains some of the different forms of relativism that are traps that we all can possibly fall into, which is why we need to be aware of the gospel in general, but also understand our enemy. And, um, you know, so I heard a lot of people that, that have had problems with some of the things that I've researched in the past. Like I said, I've never was involved in anything, but I've researched a lot of stuff. Um, I am a firm believer that you know your enemy. If we were to go to any kind of major conflict, any kind of major war, would we not want to go over and know what our opponent is doing, what they're capable of, what strategies they use? I don't think that it's any different when we're dealing with, uh, with the devil. First, understanding the importance of relationship with Jesus, having that firm relationship, because Jesus is going to be the one that armors us up. Jesus is going to be the one that protects us, but also understanding what your enemy is capable of so that you are aware of those tactics and they're not such a shock to you. Um, so indifferentism, 
So this is the idea that all religions are pretty much the same, and it doesn't matter which one you follow. Indifferentism um, is common with uh, Protestantism. So how often have you heard someone say, it doesn't matter what church you go to as long as you love Jesus? This indifferentism extends to multiple culturalism um, or multiculturalism as well. So people say that they don't matter if you are a Hindu, Muslim, Jew, Sikh, Buddhist, Catholic, whatever um, different religions there are out there. We're all climbing the same mountain, but by different paths. Well, maybe so in a way, but some paths are better than others because they're more true. Um, and to be honest, some of those paths are going down the mountain and not up, um, which is the whole basis of um, indifferentism is what's going to be the whole basis behind the new world um, religion that they try to put up is saying, guys, look, we're just we're all arguing about the same God. So we may as well just come together, let go of the, the titles that we call ourselves, let go of the names and just follow the one true God of this world. So that's ultimately indifferentism is what they're going to use in order to get people over to that side. But like this perfectly sums up is that some religions are more true. And to be honest, some paths are going down the mountain and not up. And I would say the only one that's going up the mountain would be the Christian faith because they are the ones that believe in Christ. So be clear, Jesus Christ is the fullest, the most complete, and the final revelation of God to the human race, and the Catholicism is the fullest, most ancient, and most complete union with the unique revelation of God in Jesus Christ. Um, and I disagree with, with the whole Catholic thing uh, personally. Uh, like I said, is I believe um, part of the big problem, if we could just remove the different things that we call religion, remove the religious aspect, focus on Jesus, focus on what the gospel and what he taught us and call ourselves followers of Christ rather than calling ourselves the different names of different religions. We'd break the division right off the bat, you know, the denominations. Thank you, Mary. Um, if we could just get rid of the denominations and all, you know, come together literally under the name of Christ, um, everything would be a okay. So next is a, uh, um, uh, sentimentalism. So this is basing moral choices and belief choices based on emotion rather than eternal truth. And we're seeing the, probably the best example right now of what we're seeing happen in the devil's tricks is uh, sentimentalism. Um, because what are we watching right now? But people literally basing all of their choices off of emotion. No one's looking up facts. No one's going to the gospel. They're just speaking from their heart what they feel. And that's part of the trick the devil uses is filling us with knowledge without the wisdom. Knowledge is so dangerous unless we have God's wisdom in order to know how to use it. So it can be good emotion or bad emotion. You get mad at someone or some choice that someone has made so that you base your moral and faith decision on your anger. Or you might feel syrupy and nice about something, so you base your emotional choice on that. So here's an example. Two guys want to get married, and you say, oh, Ronnie um, and Donnie are such nice guys. Why shouldn't they get married just like everyone else? You're basing your decision on your emotions about Ronnie and Donnie, your desire to be a nice person, and sentimental ideas about weddings and celebrations and big days. Don't make important decisions only upon your emotions because you end up in big problems like we are right here in this country. That way the chaos and the darkness and lies. Um, like I said, you vote or you, you, you make your decision off of facts. You go into Scripture and you understand that Scripture doesn't mention Ronnie and Donnie by name, but it says that Ronnie and Donnie should not lay down with one another. 
just because you want to be a good person and you love love and you may like Ronnie and Donnie, like I said, God didn't say hate the sinner. He said hate the sin. Um, you know, like I said, it's still following God's rules and God's laws. So, I mean, and the thing, yeah. So, like I said, whether you like Ronnie and Donnie, whether you uh, want everybody to be in love or not, you can't go with the feels. You got to go with actual facts. And Scripture specifically says that Ronnie and Donnie should not lay down together. So the next one is a uh, utilitarianism. Um, this is basing moral choices and belief choices only on what seems to be effective, efficient, and economical. So mom in a, mom's in a rest home. She has dementia. Um, it's expensive to keep her there. The doctors offer to give her an injection so her problems will be over. So don't do it. Um, you, you, uh, utilitarianism is why we kill millions of babies through abortion. It seems like the easiest thing to do. It seems like the most convenient thing to do. It seems like what may be best in your life at the moment, but ultimately who is it best for? It's best for your selfish decision, and that's it. So observe how um, utilitarianism is usually linked with uh, sentimentalism. So you wouldn't want your mother to suffer any further, would you? Um, why would you even treat your dog this way? You see where this goes? We wouldn't put our mom down because she's feeling a little bit ill. We wouldn't um, put our dog, I mean, we'll put our dogs down, but even we hold on to our dogs down for or hold on to our dogs as long as we possibly can. You just don't put them down. So once again, um, this is the reason is utilitarianism is the reason that we kill babies is because people go right off of what they think is going to be best for them immediately, not looking at the long term. Time to uh, make life easier for the interim and not worrying about what's going out into the past. And like I said, no one, as a great example about getting rid of your parents, like you wouldn't just put your parent down because it became an inconvenience. Well, maybe in today's world, some people would. I certainly wouldn't. I know you guys wouldn't either. Next is, uh, is incrementalism. So this is just a long word for drip, drip, drip. In other words, the devil doesn't put his plan in place all at once. He takes over brick by brick by brick. It is one little lie, then one little half-truth, and then one more little lie, and then one more little half-truth. So be clear that he is doing from the start, and don't give in. He will get you to give in in his own ways through sentimentalism here, um, utilitarian arguments there. Um, here a bit of uh, indifferentism. So he's working all the time, nibbling away, never sleeping, um, never at rest. If the devil was to come into your life and uh, do things all of a sudden, abruptly, all at one time, you'd notice it. But it it's, goes down to the whole analogy that we use here with the frog in boiling water. If you put a frog in lukewarm water and then you turn the heat up and the frog stays in that water, he won't realize the, by the point that he starts to boil that the water's even gotten hot. And that's exactly how the devil plays into your life. Brick by brick by brick. He comes into your life. He does a little something here, a little something there. And it's so subtle that you never, that most often you don't even notice what's happening. It's a, like removing a, a link a day from a dog's chain. That dog, a month from now, is just going to sit there with three links on his chain because it was taken away so subtly he didn't even realize what had happened. So next one is uh, materialism. And we know all about the materialism. So I'm not talking about going to the mall to shop until you drop. That's a minor form of materialism. The deeper problem is growing conviction that there is no supernatural realm. 
So God, the angels, demons, heaven, or hell, they're all just a myth according to materialism. There's no invisible world. The sacraments are just symbols. The church is just a human institution. The priests are no more than social workers dressed in black. Marriage is just a piece of paper. Confession is no more than therapy and self-help and baptism and confirmation are just nice rites of passages for our children. That's what materialism is. So uh, do you recognize it? Um, that's the thing is that we automatically assume that materialism has to do with money, which has to do with possession and so forth like that. But in this particular case, it's literally the absolute belief that nothing exists more than what you can see right here in front of you, which falls right in line to the next one, which is scientism. This is the idea that the only kind of truth that you know is scientific truth. So nobody states this as such. It's a powerful lie of Satan because it is one of those things which simply assumed in society. We automatically believe that science is the answer, that science is right, because they're given so much praise. They're given awards for what they do, for creating medicines, for creating new solutions, um, technology. You know, we've got it in our hands all the time. We get excited more about technological and scientific innovation than we do about most of. We should be getting excited about Christ and looking at these prophecies unfold right in front of us. But um, this is what the people focus on. So we all know that science has um, disproved the Bible, according to some people out there, but they couldn't be more wrong. And uh, our friend and brother Dustin Nemos, who comes on here, is a great example of an atheist, a lifelong atheist who literally went down the rabbit hole to prove the Bible was not legit, taking science and proving the Bible not real. And in response ended up proving that it was absolutely real and is one of the most dedicated Christians that I know today. Um, very, very dedicated and bringing his family right along with it. So he went into, like I said, to prove that the Bible was wrong through science and ended up proving just the exact opposite. So all truth is God's truth and true science is always the sister of true theology. So scientism is an offshoot of assumed atheism, saying that there isn't a God. There's just the laws of science. That's all. Spot it and name it. And that's how science works. Um, but we also know that where they used to call magic, mysticism, um, alchemy, and all those other things, they just call it science today. So instead of now, people aren't thinking that they're part of some kind of a pagan spiritual practice. It's just science, guys. It's technology. It's things that people, that really smart people do to make our lives better. But if you go back and you look hard enough, you'll realize that not much science has done much to make our lives better in any way. The vaccinations are killing us. All, the majority of uh, the majority of, of poisons that we're that we're all getting, we're getting ill from. They're dropping into the sky. Uh, you know, they, it even more it even warns us about pharmacia. You know, being uh, wicked, being one of the lies. So. Science is also falling. This is perfect. And every example that I've read to you, you can see happening right here in this world today, especially when it comes to science, because too many people are buying into the wrong stuff. So the next one is uh, situational ethics. So this is another name for moral relativism. The idea is that nothing is right or wrong except for the intentions and circumstances of the moral choice. So if you mean well and the circumstances justify it, then what you've chosen to do is okay. So huge numbers of Catholics have accepted first artificial 
contraception, and then abortion because of situational ethics. So once again, uh, it means uh, that the circumstances that you feel that what, what your decision that you make is is justifiable and okay. So what you're doing, even though God says it's wrong, you feel that it's okay because of your circumstance. So it's easy to see that this form of relativism is usually linked to sentimentalism and utilitarianism to bring people to the point of choosing mortal sin, but never admitting it and justifying their choice. That's not Catholic at all. That's not Christian at all. The point of having that relationship with Christ right off the bat is admitting that you are sinners, admitting that you make the mistakes, and then getting on your hands and knees and asking God for forgiveness for that stuff every day. So don't fall for this particular situational um, ethics. Don't fall for it. Um, if you are faced with a difficult moral decision, talk to a priest, a spiritual advisor, someone right here in the chat who will give you that that helpful scriptural advice. Because like I said, you know, no matter how you feel, the situation, I'll use abortion as the example because a lot of people get in the situation, they're like, okay, well, I'm too young or, well, I'm just about to get my promotion at work or I'm trying to get my way into the industry to where I can get where I want to go and this is just an inconvenient time, so it's the best thing, and I think God will understand too. No, you can't make those excuses. Once again, situational ethics. Just because you feel like it's the best thing for you doesn't mean that God thinks it's the best thing for you. And how are you going to ever know? You didn't have the child to begin with, so how do you know that that child wouldn't have been the best thing that ever happened in your life? We don't get to make those decisions. Uh, finally, we've got universalism. So this poison straight from hell is the idea that God is so loving so kind and so merciful that he won't send anyone to hell. In other words, everybody will be saved just simply by knowing Christ. Well, having that relationship with Christ is definitely the first step, but we also need to like be better people, to work on ourselves, become less sinners, to ask God for forgiveness, to repent every single day for the faults that we do to spread those gospels. There are certain things that we must do as a Christian, and just saying, hey, I know Jesus, or hey, I know God, that's not going to be your ticket into heaven. It doesn't work like that. I mean, that's what universalism believes, is that there's not a darn thing that you can do that's going to upset God enough to where he won't take you into heaven as long as you admit that he's God. So this not only directly contradicts ancient scripture, but it contradicts all the teachings of the church for the last 2,000 years. So it has lulled thousands into false security that in the end it doesn't matter what you do or what you choose because they will all make you, you will all get into heaven at the very, very end. So Satan loves universalism because he gets to dress up his lie in his clothes of his father's greatest attribute, the divine mercy. The best way to uh, repudiate this lie is to fear hell. I say to fear God. And uh, like I said, is and I've heard people that, that'll say that too. Matter of fact, the some of the people that don't believe in the second Testament or don't believe in Jesus will tell you that we're all going to hell because we're not following exactly the way that things were. But look, we're born sinners. So the moment that you sin and that none of us would be going to heaven, period. That's why Jesus had to come back and give us that other opportunity. But like I said, it's not as simple as going, okay, Christ, I know you, I love you. And then talking about him, you got to be a good person. You got to make those those efforts to be a good person. And, you know, we've talked about this as well, where, uh, you know, what if you've got like a lifelong serial killer that on their deathbed repents to God, you know, will God bring him into heaven? And, you know, so what do I say about that? Is it, 
you know, God knows what's in your heart. You can say anything because talk is cheap. God knows what's coming out of your heart. So that lifelong serial killer literally is laying in the hospital on their deathbed and prays to God like, God, Jesus, I am so sorry for everything that I've ever done, everyone that I've ever killed. I've lived a life of sin, and I truly regret it. Now, God knows if he's being sincere or not. And if he's truly being sincere, God will give him that opportunity. But like I said, it's, it's impossible to lie to yourself, and it's even more impossible to lie to God. So that's what I've got um, over here uh, on that part of uh, the tricks for Satan. And that's the thing is that Satan has got so many different tricks. They're all different versions of the same thing that we're watching happen more and more, not just in our country, but around the world. Um, he's got multiple favorite strategies. I'm going to go to this one right here, which is uh, Satan's five favorite strategies. I had read a bunch of like phenomenal stuff on this as well as going through scripture. Didn't realize how little uh, Satan was actually talked about in the big spectrum. So you're probably thinking seriously a lot about the devil. Well, um, like I said, is the devil's got multiple tactics and different things that he uses and he tries to disguise them in different ways. And one of the biggest ones that we're seeing today is division. So if there's one strategy that Satan comes back to again and again, it's creating division in the church. And why wouldn't he? Because it works. And not only is he dividing the churches, like I said, we um, have multiple religions in this world. And then we've got hundreds of different denominations just of Christianity because we disagree on one thing. Uh, we have to go to another church. Um, you know, I don't like the way that you pray. You don't pray on your knees. Well, you pray standing. Well, I need to go to a different church. Like none of that stuff is real relevant and very unimportant. As long as you're following that gospel, you're following Christ, what he's asked us to do, spreading that gospel and doing those kind of things, having that relationship with Christ. But Satan wants to divide us in every way that he can. So strangely in our culture, some Christians wear the divisiveness as a badge of honor, and it's not. It's actually a badge of evil by dividing anything. We should be able to sit down as a Baptist and a Methodist and have a great conversation because we both go to church for the same reason, Jesus. It doesn't matter what hymns you sing. Personally, uh, I prefer churches, the old-style churches, that have the hymns every now and then, and the majority of churches, your preacher sitting up there talking to you, giving you a sermon. Today, uh, a lot of the churches that I've come across are more music-based than they are uh, actual sermons. And don't get me wrong, I don't see a problem with that. I uh, I prefer to listen to a, a sermon that I prefer to listen to music. You know, they should have like music night or something like that. But I love listening to the different sermons. That's where I get through it. Then you've got the devices, the what should be taught in church. So we talked about something the other day about how many preachers are even afraid to offend people. Look, we're past the point of having to offend people. The only person that you're offending are the people that you're not being completely honest with because you're dooming them to hell by not being honest with them. And as a preacher, that should be the first thing that you're doing. But then on top of that, you got the other preachers, which is straight up infiltrated our churches, trying to push a wrong message and what's actually supposed to be happening in this world all the way down to homosexuality within our churches, saying that transgender is okay and that, that God understands why you are born a guy and want to become a woman. See, this is where everything goes off, and this is where more division comes in. So how do we know division is a sign of the activity of presence of evil? Paul actually defines which human behavior is motivated by God and which is motivated by the enemy, and you can find that in Galatians 5. So he began by listening to the characteristics of people whose lives are under the influence of evil. Um, and here's a list. So you've got hatred, discord, sexual immorality, 
jealousy, impurity and debauchery, fits of rage, dissension, factions, envy, and conceit. So sadly, too much of that sounds like church. And in a lot of ways, um, and I've told you this before, is was it Jesus that kept me from calling myself a follower of Christ and a Christian? Absolutely not. Certainly wasn't. Matter of fact, it was the Christians that kept me from falling in line and, and actually wanting to go to church because I would go to church. I tried this on multiple occasions um, when, when I was younger, and I would felt like I didn't belong. They would look at me like I was an outcast, like I was a stranger, non-welcoming. You know, when you're going to a place for the first time and you're trying to embrace God, you want to embrace the love that comes along with embracing God. And many churches that I went to didn't make me feel that. I've seen people in churches that have been asked to leave because they were like, well, no, you're an alcoholic. You don't need to be here. No, the alcoholic is exactly where they need to be 100%. So um, even they find divisiveness within the churches. The people of the church um, don't live without the ego. They, they don't live with that humility and have a way of chasing people off. And so, like I said before, sometimes the most dangerous people in the entire world, in my opinion, are false preachers, false prophets within those churches. And then right behind them are the holier-than-thou Christians that try to chase people away, making them feel like they don't belong. So the last thing we should be doing as Christians, we should be opening our arms and accepting them. If they come in with holes in their shoes, dirty as can be and stinking, we should be, still be giving them a hug and letting them sit next to us because they're in the place they need to be. So... um. Now, this is a contrast right here. So even if you remove the sexual sins, which tragically are often present too, this list sounds like a job description of self-righteous Christians in many ways. And, and they're right. As harsh as that is, um, it's not the, the true Christians. It's the ones that, that think that they're the, the, the non-sinners. So, but it's actually Satan's job description. So contrast that by what the Holy Spirit generates in people's and their lives. So when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of the person in a church, what does Jesus produce? What does God produce in contrast to what Satan wants? God produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are the things that come with being a good Christian. That's what people should see when they walk into your church. When they come across, because we said it before, is that people should be able to see Jesus within you. They should be able to see God within you. So if they walk into a church and they're seeing the opposite of what I just read, why would you even want to attend a church? And why would you even want to come to a religion like that? That's why sometimes uh, you know, Christians can be some of the most dangerous because they're ultimately chasing away. They're putting a stumbling block in front of a brother or sister who's trying to find God, and that's not our job. Our job is to open our arms and bring them right in and make them feel as loving, as comfortable as we do. Um, so the, the contrast is hardly uh, be sharper. But wait, so you say, uh, what is my conviction is from God? So sure, occasionally we need Martin Luther to nail 95 um, theses to the door, but most of us are not Martin Luther. So, and even if you need to take a stand, it's probably not a stand for Jesus if it ultimately produces more division and bitterness because Christ does not produce division, he produces unity. Sometimes love is tough, but love never ends tough. So next up, uh, is arrogance. So arrogance can creep in so easily among church leaders. And, and that is very, very true. Is I noticed that, uh, you know, you'll see a lot of very humble new Christians. You'll see a lot of very humble Christians in general. But some of the ones that have been Christian for a really long time, and that's one thing that I love about Jeff as you talk to him, 
is that Jeff said that there was a point where he was indignant about it. Like he was like, I'm a Christian. I'm the best that you can get. And he would talk down to some people, but he also listened to Jesus and God when they called him on that. And he changed that. We all have to go through our process. And that's the thing is that Jesus will teach you humility. So arrogance can creep in so easily. And like I said, especially amongst the church leaders, because the church leaders are kind of like the rock stars of the, the, the temple. They're the ones that are up there that everybody is like always listening to and standing and, and, and getting on their feet and singing and falling on their knees in prayer whenever you would ask them to. So there are two primary ways Christians succumb to arrogance, success, and by using a common but false definition of maturity. So let's start with the first. The most difficult test of character is not failure, it's success. Because failure teaches you humility. Success can build up your ego a little bit. So here's why. It's pretty easy to be humble when you're failing. Um, it's just far too easy to take all the credit when things go well. So as a result, leaders of growing churches and ministries almost always have a daily fight with arrogance, or at least hopefully there's a fight, because if there isn't, arrogance will always win every single time. So our job is to live in absolute humility and not to live in arrogance, to realize that we are not here for ourselves. We're not the rock star of this. All we are doing, the rock star of this is Jesus and God. And because God and Jesus decide that he picks you for a certain mission and not someone else, doesn't make you any better because your mission would not be completed if it wasn't for another mission that God put somebody else on. This is a finely tuned heavenly machine that God has created. So there's no reason to be arrogant, egotistical, or anything whatsoever because the credit doesn't go to us anyways. It goes to the Almighty in heaven. So uh, next we've got discouragement. So if you're feeling beat up by the first two points in different season, I felt beat up by both of them. Well, actually, I needed to be beaten up by both of them. Then you might gravitate towards another of the devil's favorite strategies, which is discouragement. So what does discouragement say? It says, I'm no good. I'm not making a difference. I always mess up. What's the point? I might as well give up. And here's the thing. God loves you. Whether you think you're not good enough, God loves you. Whether you think you're making a difference, you are. God loves you. Whether you think you mess up every single day, you're not. God loves you. So God loves you no matter what you do, and we shouldn't be disappointed. We should stand up and try to do better. It's the whole Yoda try, try not thing. Stand up, do what you possibly can, and if you can't, try again because one day you will be able to complete it because God's never going to ask you to do anything that you can't complete. And sometimes it takes a bunch of failure before you can complete something, but that failure is what builds you up, and that failure is what gives you uh some humility along the way as well. So what a little hack, read the book of Ephesians and everywhere it says you or us just substitute your name, put your name into those blanks. Every time you see in Ephesians, every time you see the word you or us, just put your name there. Even before, and I'll use example, even before he made the world, God loved Joseph and chose Joseph and Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt Joseph into his own family by bringing Joseph to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and he gave him great pleasure. So go through that. Try that. Read those, those things in Ephesians. And like I said, every time you see the you or the us, just replace your name. And that's the thing is that we are all individuals. We are all part of this thing that God is trying to 
oil this machine together, get us all on board, unify all of us so that we can get on this mission together. And God loves every single one of us the same. Not better. He doesn't pick and choose favorites. We are all his favorite children. So uh, next one is self-pity. So if discouragement is left unchecked, then it grows. So self-pity is discouragement on steroids. Self-pity chisels in the stone what discouragement whispers. So if it tells you, um, it tells you that there is no out, that this is the way it will always be, and it simultaneously tells you that it's all your fault and none of this is your fault. Paradoxically, you believe both. And that is the thing, too, is that we often do. We get to discourage and we find that self-pity, but we've also got to lean on God, hand those things over because there's no reason for us to pity ourselves. Like I said, failure is not failure. Failure is an opportunity to become stronger. It's an opportunity for growth. You know, we all make mistakes. We, uh, the devil will use this thing. Like I said, you have a little bit of a day of discouragement. The devil's going to jump on that. And he's going to try to turn it into self-loathing and self-pity to the point where you get so bad so caught up in your own brain, so caught up in your own anxieties and thoughts that you literally feel there is zero way to get out of it. And then you just hit rock bottom and you have a problem calling yourself out of it. But guess what? God's your ladder. God will always, no matter how deep of a pit you fall into, God's going to be a ladder to get you right out of it. So self-pity is dangerous because it moves you to the sidelines. Living a state of self-pity means that you don't need um, anyone to take you out of the game because you've literally taken yourself out of the game. It's incredibly effective strategy and completely counter to the gospel. The final thing is that self-pity does is it robs you of all joy. Satan cannot steal our salvation, but he can steal our joy and he delights doing so. Because like I said, if the easiest thing that Satan can do isn't to pull you out of the game himself or have someone else, it's to get you to pull yourself out of the game. Like I said, Satan cannot steal our salvation. He only delights taking our joy. So the next one is the slight crossing of moral lines. So occasionally, leaders move from relatively uh, deep obedience to an extraordinary moral breach oversight, but usually it's far more subtle than that. So as C.S. Lewis says in the Screw Tape Letters, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. So how does this happen? Often it happens when you start to compromise on the small things. So maybe you take a deduction that you shouldn't on your taxes, or you get a little too close emotionally to someone that you're not married to. Sure, nothing happened, but deep down you know something could have happened in, in your heart. So, Or maybe you just uh, shade the truth a little in a conversation to make yourself or the situation look better than, they, than it already did. Um, the moral lapse is always the hardest then it gets easier from there. So it's kind of like, you know, cheating on a spouse. You know, we all think that we can't do it. But the one time that you do do it, you realize, hey, I got away with this. I can do it again. And then you do do it again. Like I said, it's like a sin. The first time that you sin, you're like, I didn't think I could do it. Then you realize how easy it was, and it becomes easier to do those sinning first. I used to say this all the time when I was uh, taking school in psychology. I was like, you know, because I realized I studied a lot on psychopaths, sociopaths, and I came to realize, um, you know, why don't people murder? Because our brains are designed to tell us that we will not be able to handle ourselves. We will not be able to live with ourselves if we kill someone. 
But once somebody does kill themselves and they realize, oh, it wasn't as bad as I thought, they're more likely to be able to do it again and again because, A, they realize it got away with it. B, they realize that it wasn't as hard on their soul as they expected that it would be. Um, You know, so that's the whole thing is that in general, once you sin, sin becomes easier because you realize that you are capable of doing it, which is why you have to work harder at not doing it. Being bad is easy to do. All it is is acting upon your own impulses. Being good takes discipline, takes a lot of hard work, but ultimately it's worth it. You're building your spiritual muscles. You're not atrophying like the uh, dark side will. So you may be asking God for more in your life or leadership, but whenever you ask God for more, he usually asks uh, what you're doing, what you've already been given. So it's so if you're not faithful in the little things, you will not be faithful in the bigger things. So obedience may seem boring or inconvenient in the short term, but is richly, deeply satisfying in the long term. So if you refuse to compromise now, it becomes more easy to resist compromise in the future. And that's the thing right here is that being a Christian and understanding what Christianity means, understanding what it means to be a follower of Christ also allows you to understand what you're doing wrong when you do it wrong, oftentimes keeping you from doing it to begin with because it never leaves your brain. It doesn't become an action. It doesn't become a word. Um, that's one of the great things about being with Christ. But once again, you know, it also takes a lot of discipline and working through it because we are all sinners. We are working to be non-sinners. We are working to be as Christ-like as we possibly can be. So that's what I've got about uh, Satan and his little, tricker, his little tricks um, for today. And there's so much more, there's some really great stuff out there. Um, but I believe, like I said, that as important as it is for us to know what God asks of us and Jesus, it's also important right now to understand what our enemy does because we're going to be facing enemy tactics like we've never had before over this year. Discernment is one of those things that's always been a very important thing to pray for. But this year, discernment is going to be one of the most priceless things that you can pray for right along with wisdom so that we can take the knowledge that we have, take our enemy's weapons and use this against them. Because trust me, this year is the year that the devil is going to be coming after all of us in a worse way than he ever has. It's a do or die year. It's evil against good. But we have said it before. I say it every night at the end of the show. We are so fortunate to know how this ends. And that is God wins. So everybody, uh, we're going to go ahead and uh, get into some prayer before uh, just in case Podbean decides to boot us off again. So give me one second. Everybody will please bow their heads. Heavenly Father, thank you again for another day. Thank you for bringing us all together, giving us all these many platforms so we can come and spread the word in all of our different ways, dear Lord. We understand that we're all different people. We like different colors. We like different songs. And we hear things differently. We digest things differently. Father, that's why you have got so many of us on all these different missions to where we can come together and help those that just aren't ready to listen yet, to plant those seeds, dear Lord. And the thing is, is this isn't a competition, Father, and I'm grateful that you've got us all on here as one team. We're Team Jesus, trying to wake people up, trying to work on our own lives, get a stronger relationship with you every single day, trying to help other people, dear Lord, trying to help ourselves become better people, less sinners. But we can't do that, dear Lord, unless we're actively making progress in it, trying to do it, showing others, letting people see the fruits that we bear so that they want to change their lives too. Greatest gift that I ever had, Father, was the day that I found you and accepted you into my heart. 
And I've got a long ways to go, just like many of us do, dear Lord. But you love us enough to get us to where we are today. And you love us enough to where you give us those gentle reminders of things that we do do wrong and then allow us to better ourselves. But you've also given us a purpose, dear Lord, and missions right here. You could have picked any time in our lives to be or in, in generations to be born, but you chose us to be here to get together right here today, dear Lord. So let us all motivate one another. Let us all help each other home the skills. Let us all in our own separate missions work together for the one great mission, dear Lord, which is helping save this world, helping the world be introduced to you, dear Lord, so that they have that chance of salvation, that chance to enter heaven like you've given to us. But dear Lord, don't let us settle for as little as we can do. Dear Lord, you've given us the greatest thing ever, and that is life and a chance to have eternal life in heaven, dear Lord. So let us continue to serve you every single day. Let us stand up, dear Lord, and ask you, Father, what we can do for you. And let us learn how to listen better, dear Lord, so when you're giving us a task, we know what you're saying and we can complete it. But dear Lord, let's also help each other get to these tasks. And as one of us stumbles, let another one of us be right there to lift them back up onto their feet so that we can set them back on that mission. Dear Lord, this year isn't going to be an easy year, but it's going to be an exciting year. And the excitement, dear Lord, is because we know how this ends. So while other people are afraid, dear Lord, let us have the greatest strength we've ever had. Give us courage, dear Lord, to overcome our fears and to walk straight in the middle of the most gruesome battlefield, dear Lord, and be ready to give our lives for you the same way that you gave your life for us. Dear Lord, let us be able to sacrifice our lives for others, dear Lord, so they can have a longer, prosper life. Let us learn, dear Lord, to be selfless and not selfish so that we are worrying about protecting other people that can't protect themselves, the widows, the orphans, and all the others, dear Lord, that are unable to take care of themselves. Dear Lord, you want us to be peaceful and compassionate and loving people, which we absolutely are. But Father, you also created us as warriors. So dear Lord, during these times, I ask that you keep us calm, you keep us focused, and do everything the way that you need it to do. Don't let us flip the tables and whip the whips, dear Lord, unless that is what you ask us to do, just like you've asked King David and many others before. Sometimes, dear Lord, you have to make change. Dear Lord, I know that there's a lot of evil in this world, but there's not much of a difference between the evil in this world and those good people that stand by and do absolutely nothing and watch evil get away with what evil does. Dear Lord, let us have the courage to stand up, to gather, and to start making a difference. Let us teach these children better than we were taught, dear Lord. Let's raise them from the moment that they're born to the moment that they leave this earth, knowing who you are, the importance of you, and that everything great that they're accomplishing in their life is going to be because of you. Dear Lord, we have let you down, so let us be the ones to make this up to you, dear Lord. Don't let this fall on, on the shoulders of our children, dear Lord, because we know one day you're going to come home. You're going to come back here, and you're going to take us all home. We don't know when that time is, dear Lord, so we don't need to be sitting down right now doing nothing, waiting. We know that ultimately you're going to be the one that saves, dear Lord, but we also know that you use us as your eyes, your ears, your hands, and your voices right here on this earth. So as we keep one foot in heaven, let us keep the other foot down here on earth, dear Lord, and to do on earth as we do in heaven. Let's make a difference down here, dear Lord, until the day that you call us home. But let us have, never have a day with fear, have nothing but courage. Dear Lord, let us keep our armor strong, high, and tight, dear Lord, so that it is ready and prepared the day that we walk into this war. Let us be prepared to fight any demon or any evil that comes into our lives, dear Lord. Let us be willing to serve you in every way we can. But we love you with all of our hearts, dear Lord, and we thank you for everything that you've given us. In Jesus Christ's name and our Heavenly Father's name we pray. Amen.
Oh, good. I saw an amen. For a second there, I thought that it shut off on me again in the middle of a prayer. That would have been a bummer, but I would have come back and we would have done the prayer anyways. But guys, uh, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Kilted Christian. Uh, we're going to be back um, on Monday. We're going to have a really nasty weekend here this weekend and a pretty nasty one uh, next week. Uh, I haven't seen too many issues here with electricity or internet. So hopefully we won't have any issues when it gets really cold, really windy, because I want to be here to talk to all you guys and I want to hear your cold stories because it's coming up. But guys, as I always say on Friday nights, have a great weekend. Kick off your shoes, hug a tree, spend some time with your family, pet your dog, tell your mom and your dad and your loved ones that you love them, put a puzzle together, read scripture, do something that makes you feel good, do something wholesome, because the news is going to be here when we get back on Monday, and hopefully it'll be me and Conley bringing it to you. So guys, uh, in the meantime, don't forget, just give Douglas a little prayer in your spare time. Uh, I'm not sure where he is right now, but I'm uh, worried about him, so just give him a little prayer. And uh, we'll send some heavenly love to them. But I love y'all very, very much. I want to thank you so much for everything that you do. You guys are all amazing, amazing family. And I am so honored and grateful that you guys have let me be part of this family. I love y'all very, very much. I will see you Monday for episode 522 of Kilted Christian. In the meantime, I leave you with this. Oh, say can you see by the dawn's early light What so proudly we held At the twilight's last gleaming Whose broad stripes and bright stars Through the perilous fight O'er the ramparts we watched Were so gallantly streaming And the rockets regret The bombs bursting in there Gave proof through the night That our flag was still Oh, say does that star-spangled bender get away o'er the land of the free and the Have an absolutely beautiful, beautiful weekend, guys. I love you all very, very much. I hope you guys uh, get out and do something fun. But like I said, there's no point in worrying because we know how this ends. God wins. So fear not, stress not, let go of all your anxiety. Pray, 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 hold that line, spread the gospel from nation to nation. God will give us absolutely everything that we need to get through these times. I can promise you that. But guys, I love you all very, very much. Have an absolutely beautiful weekend. If Jeff is feeling up to it, we will have a pop-up Brothers in the Bible this weekend, but that depends on how he feels. But in the meantime, I will see you all on Monday, and God bless.